This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. It's great to have your company. This is the show that goes beyond political commentary and is about inspiring you to join me and others in taking political action. Australia has entered a zone where it is no longer viable for you and I to sit on the sidelines. We may not have been interested in politics, but it is sure interested in us and it's interested in our children. We are literally in a battle for the future of our nation and how it goes will depend on what you and I do in response to the issues that are being raised. In a moment, I'll speak with Kiralee Smith, who was in court last week for the crime of misgendering a man who thinks he is a woman and demands to be called as such and to play in women's sport. The law is sadly on his side, not that of girls and women. Bernard Gaynor will join me from Brisbane, where he's been fighting the anti-family pride parade held at the weekend in a bayside suburb. And the crazy climate catastrophists are coming for your gas cooktops. I'll speak with Kevin Newman of the Institute for Public Affairs. It's another big show. Don't touch that dial. Now, in further proof that the Liberal Party fails to put families first, an anti-religious freedom candidate was last weekend parachuted into the Senate. Dave Sharma was the former member for Wentworth before losing the Blue Ribbon Liberal seat to the Teals at the 2022 election. Last weekend, the Liberals selected him to fill the New South Wales Senate vacancy left by the resignation of Maurice Payne. In doing so, the Liberals rejected the candidacy of former ACT Senator Zed Seselja, who is a supporter of freedom of religion and a supporter of family, faith and life. Now, sadly, Sharma has formed in violating the principles the Liberals claim to stand for. Before he lost Wentworth, he was one of five Liberals who took the extraordinary step of crossing the floor and voting, wait for it, voting with Labor and the Greens on amendments that effectively torpedoed his own government's attempts at shoring up freedom for religious schools. Schools which believe the biological truth about gender effectively must continue to accommodate males seeking access to girls' private facilities at school and they must allow transitioning males to compete with girls in sport, thanks to Sharma and his fellow rebel liberals. 
Now, this is something that Sharma fails to grasp, or if he does, he seems fine with it. When asked about his rebellion against his own party's religious freedom bill, Sharma told Sky News last year that rainbow rights and religious freedom could both be accommodated as if oil and water could mix. Sharma then went on to parrot the false talking points of the LGBTIQA plus political activists. Well, look, my position on this uh, hasn't changed, Laura. I believe that religious people and people of faith should deserve protection against discrimination on the grounds of their faith. And here he is with those talking points. I also believe, and this is something that I've talked about now at you know, two previous elections here in Wentworth, I also believe that students and teachers should not be discriminated against in religious schools on account of their gender orientation or their sexual, sorry, their sexual orientation or their gender identity. Uh, and I think, you know, both those propositions can be true at the same time and the le any legislation needs to reflect both of those viewpoints. Now, it's really important to unpack that. Um, it's important to understand that Christian schools do not expel students because they take on LGBTIQA plus identities. Sharma should have known this because the Christian school movement has very effective advocates in Canberra who provided this information to MPs and who also speak publicly. If religious freedom is to mean anything in Australia, religious schools must be free to choose staff who reflect their parent community's values, and they must be allowed to uphold behaviours which protect girls from the encroachment of biological males in their private spaces and their sports at school. Religious schools should also be free to teach their values on gender and marriage without fear of being taken to court by LGBTIQA plus political activists. Now, these are freedoms which Sharma should have been protecting instead of siding with radical rainbow activists. He's effectively denied schools those freedoms, and now the Liberals are putting him back in the Senate. It speaks volumes of the sickness in the Liberal Party that Sharma was chosen over Zed Seselja, who during his time in Parliament stood for the family and for freedom and against the radical left of politics, which continually seeks to undermine both. Ironically, the media labelled Seselja hard right and Sharma moderate. Now, it's not moderate, but it's actually extremist to put rainbow rights above the concerns of mainstream families. Now, while deeply flawed, last year's failed Morrison government religious discrimination bill was designed to restore and shore up some of the freedoms which have become vulnerable since marriage was redefined in law back in 2017. Religious freedom laws have been promised by both sides of politics ever since the same-sex marriage plebiscite, which challenged long-standing social and societal norms on gender, on mothering and fathering. Now, sadly, Sharma and the rebel liberals gave voice to the radical LGBTIQA plus political movement's fake claims that Christian schools expel kids because they are same-sex attracted or because they, they identify as transgender. Their actions mean schools can up, uh, cannot uphold religious teaching on marriage or gender. One of Sharma's fellow liberal rebels, Trent Zimmerman, who also lost his seat, waved a rainbow flag on the floor of parliament as he crossed the floor with Sharma. Now, at last weekend's Senate pre-selection, Sharma had the endorsement of the liberal leader, Peter Dutton, who also endorsed Seselja. But this two-timing by Dutton meant that any signal for freedom and family that Dutton might have wanted to convey was, of course, meaningless.
Last weekend's Senate pre-selection choice by the Liberals reveals a party that has no principles when it comes to protecting girls and women from the radical LGBTIQA agenda and no vision for freedom of religion in Australia. Now, the Albanese government is poised to put forward its own religious freedom bill early next year. The Morrison government's bill last year, which Sharma helped torpedo, was a weak bill, but many religious leaders felt it was better than nothing. It is highly likely the Albanese government's bill will be even weaker. But in putting Dave Sharma back into the parliament, the Liberals have helped ensure that the radical LGBTIQA plus demands will continue to trump families' concerns for freedom and for protecting their daughters from biological males transitioning at school. Well, Bernard Gaynor is a former major in the Australian Army and Iraq war veteran. These days, he's taken up the fight for families and his latest battle has been in defence of a Brisbane family's home, which was targeted by the organisers of a Brisbane Pride Festival at the weekend. He posted this footage on Facebook from the Pride March at Wynnum, a lovely family bayside suburb of Brisbane. And a warning, this clip, while censored, contains a sexualised act, which is quite shocking. And there you have it there. And just in case you missed it, and uh, apologies for that, but I just think it's important that we realise uh, what is going on as part of these Pride Festivals. So Bernie, uh, thanks very much for your courage in taking on the fight uh, and joining us today. Um, what are these rainbow actors, activists trying to do with these public displays of their anti-family culture? Uh, well, look, those public displays are disgusting and I think most normal people don't want them in and around their homes. And what they're trying to do at the moment is move the Mardi Gras into the suburbs. Now, these displays are all too common uh, and occur all too frequently in these gay pride marches. They happen in the centre of Sydney. They happen in the pride marches in Brisbane and Melbourne and, of course, overseas. Um, the footage is horrendous as well. They're now trying to move these events uh, into the suburbs and past our homes. That's exactly what happens um, in Brisbane on the weekend. And the really uh, disturbing thing is that the organisers of this march knew that there was criticism about the behaviour that was going to unfold. They actually sent out a warning to their supporters and followers to put some clothes on uh, during the parade. Now, if you've got to organise an event and tell the people turning up for this event, which is supposedly family-friendly, they've got to wear clothes... Um, you've already lost, which yeah. is what they did. And, you know, all we have to do is turn up with our cameras and we'd find something like that. Uh, it's disgusting. That is absolutely disgusting. And um, there was some publicity in the lead-up to this uh, festival at the weekend. Uh, they, they were targeting or they, they were saying publicly they were going to target a family home uh, along the route of this Pride March. What, you can, what can you tell us about that? Sure. So this is very disturbing. The local Greens candidate who sponsored the Pride March with the knowledge of the Greens and the people who are organising the march, uh, doxed a large family in Wynnum, uh, which is a bayside suburb in Brisbane, put their address up on the internet, uh, put a photograph of the house up on the internet and called for a mob to turn up at the front door of this house uh, an hour before the march. Uh, and just to make it clear, this house is not on the route of the actual march. It's close to it but not on the route. Mm -hmm. So these people were going to go out of their way uh, to threaten and intimidate a large Catholic family in their home on Sunday. Uh, it is disgusting uh, conduct. It is very disturbing. I think 
uh, everyone should understand that the police were aware of this uh, and they were either unable or unwilling to prevent the doxing of this family. Uh, the, the, the posts with this family's address still remain online. And in fact, we turned up uh, about an hour and a half before they planned to turn up to occupy the space out the front of this home. The police were sent down to watch us. They told us they were sent down to watch us. They weren't sent down there to protect this family's home. Uh, it's very disturbing uh, conduct. And we have to understand that parties like the Greens believe in violence and intimidation and bullying and thuggery. They're the party that attends protests calling for people to gas the Jews. Uh, they're now targeting people in the homes and we need to be prepared to respond to that. Yeah, yeah, that's truly shocking. Um, that, that, the footage that you posted uh, of that uh, Pride Festival participant performing a lured act in public, and, and of course, uh, the, the footage that we just showed showed the police there as well. Did they take any action against that individual? No, no action was taken, Lyle, and people have to understand this as well. Quite often in these Pride marches, the police are there when these things happen because they're marching with the people doing it. Uh, that's what's going on. The police forces around the nation have many fine uh, officers in them, but as organisations they are becoming corrupted uh, and there's political pressure on them to turn a blind eye to this kind of behaviour. Um, so that, that occurred right in front of at least three officers. I will be going down to uh, the Queensland Police at Wynnum tomorrow to lodge a complaint. There's some other conduct as well uh, in relation to the, the, the threats around uh, family homes. Um, I, I believe police should investigate and uh, I'll, I'll be taking this further. You know, I will not be letting the police sit on their hands over this. They, they cannot do that. Yeah, good on you. I think that's really important. Um, there were some flyers um, handed out in the lead up to this, and there was some publicity about this in the media. Uh, now, these flyers were obviously a, a bit of a parody of what was happening at the weekend. And I think, you know, there's room for that sort of tactic in a, a democracy. But I noticed that um, the organisers were quick to deny the allegations on the flyers that there would be kissing booths, that there would be sort of animal fetish type stuff. And yet uh, viewers of my program will know that earlier in the year when we were covering the World Pride Festival here in Sydney, uh, their websites clearly had uh, animal uh, bestiality type themes, sexual sexuality and animals all mixed together. Uh, that sort of imagery was on the flyers that uh, that uh, opponents of the Wynnum Pride Festival put out. Why, why do they take such objection to it when it's part of World Pride in Sydney anyway and, and something which people are, are becoming to ex expect as normal at these uh, festivals? Sure. Well, I think there were three flyers that went out. Um, I, I don't know who put out the pink flyers that caused so much objection, but I actually find them hilarious because all they did was take images of various pride parades around the world and superimpose it over the advertising exactly. for this event. Yep. Um, and, of course, it caused all sorts of shock and grief. But mm. they're probably the only gay pride flyers in the world that complied with the concept of truth in advertising. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody understands exactly what these parades involve. I mean, we, we had a man expose his genitalia uh, in and around a children's park and a children's wading pool on Sunday. That happens. Yep. That was at the Pride Parade where the organisers themselves were trying to prevent these things from occurring. They can't help themselves. Mm. Um, it, it is very disturbing behaviour. These people are perverted. Um, you know, they think it's funny and they laugh, but this is what they do. Yep. So uh, <laughs> despite the uproar about this fly, I, I think that um, by and large it sent out a message that most people uh, would think is true. And the other two flies, which I was involved with um, and my family was involved with helping get them out, they 
They simply expressed community concern about a gay pride march through a children's park. Yeah. Um, that's what they did. And a lot of people in the community were very happy that there was a protest to this event. They don't want the Mardi Gras in the suburbs. Take it back to the centre of the city where all the freaks and weirdos live and leave it there. Yeah, no, quite right. Uh, well, you know, that probably shouldn't happen anywhere in a public space. And, uh, you know, as well, you, yes. you know, as has rightly been pointed out by whoever did distribute those uh, flyers that caused uh, such consternation, uh, those of us who live in Sydney saw exactly that being promoted as part of World Pride back here in February. Bernie, thanks very much for what you're doing. I think it's really important that we have this pushback and keep this stuff out of the suburbs and hopefully out of our, our cities and public spaces. Uh, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you, Lyle. For years now, many of us have been warning that the barbarians are at the gates. We were wrong. They're inside. Well, that was cultural commentator Constantin Kisson at this month's Alliance for Responsible Citizenship Forum in London. Last week, we saw further evidence of the barbarians not so much inside the gates, but on our streets. Instead of attending school, hundreds of children rallied outside Melbourne's Flinders Street Station and here in Sydney as well, not to protest the cold-blooded Nazi-like murders and rapes of innocent people, but in support of Hamas's ambitions, ambitions for a second Holocaust of the Jews. What do you think of Hamas? I think, I think they're doing a good job. Seriously? Every imam in Australia should be blushing with shame and desperately seeking to provide that young lady with some gentle counsel about what it means to be human. But sadly, this is wishful thinking. The Australian Imams Council continues its silence on Hamas's merciless savagery, preferring to rant about Israel's war crimes. How can it be a war crime to repeatedly warn civilians to move from a war zone so it can deal with the mass murderers, the baby killers and the rapists who are pledged to kill every Jew from the river to the sea? The Imams have not condemned their Western Sydney hate preachers for being filled with joy at the atrocities and for calling for the killing of Jews. No wonder that young lady thinks Hamas is doing a good job. She's been taught to think that, sadly, by her religion. Now, after the kids chanted Holocaust slogans uh, from the river to the sea, they were led in chants of Allah Akbar. No one told the kids that bombing, that the bombing would stop immediately if the hostages were released and Hamas surrendered. No one told the kids about how Hamas uses hospitals as terrorist command centres, something even the hopelessly woke BBC has conceded. Every Palestinian wishing to be free should be supporting the destruction of Hamas and the repudiation of the Islamist agenda to kill the Jews and other infidels. Every imam in Australia should be denouncing anti-Semitism, upholding Israel's right to defend itself and condemning the calls for a second Holocaust from the river to the sea. Sadly, Australia's academics, which include those educating our teachers, have been teamed up with radical Islam to side with the enemies of civil society. Never mind that Islam decrees that some, uh, the same fate for LGBTIQA plus people as they decree for the Jews. In his talk at the ARC conference, Kissin quipped. I mean, say what you want about Hamas supporters, at least they know what a woman is. <laughs> now, unfortunately, that 
would not have been true for all the kids on the streets who last week constantly, uh, who were on the streets last week and who are constantly marinating in our woke educational system, uh, which doesn't even tell them that Hamas would kill their transgender friends. It's certainly not true of the academics backing Palestine. Have there ever been more useful idiots? Not that the kids and the academics would know, but that was the phrase Stalin coined about people in the West who were apologists for Soviet communism, arguably the most genocidal regime ever. Now, I would urge everyone to listen to former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson's latest two podcasts about Hamas and the support for it in the West. His guests, Douglas Murray and Neil Ferguson, outline the problems Western countries like Australia now face with large Muslim populations who do not share our values. They, and Family First, the political party I'm a part of, are not anti-Muslim people. But it is clear Islamic ideology needs to be discussed and challenged if there is to be social cohesion. If anyone needs convincing, Look at what the kids are saying. Well, Kevin Yu is a senior research fellow at the Institute for Public Affairs. His latest article for the IPA review details government plans to take away your gas cooktops. Kevin, thanks very much for joining us. Um, Victoria, I guess, is one of the key battlegrounds uh, for this. What are they doing? To yeah, what are they doing down in Victoria as part of this latest push to take away our ability to cook with gas? Well, in Victoria, firstly, what they did uh, in 2022 was to uh, was to change the building mandate, the building, uh, the building codes to, to remove the mandate for gas connection. So before uh, the middle of 2022, there was actually a mandate for gas reticulation for new homes. That's in recognition of the fact that Victoria is home to an abundance of natural gas. In the middle of 2020, in, in about uh, July, June, July, August 2022, and uh, that mandate uh, was removed, um, supposedly to give a choice, to give yeah. choice uh, to builders and homeowners to allow them to choose uh, uh, gas reticulated homes or um, uh, fully electrified home. The government has now come clean, um, starting from starting from the first of January 2024 that new homes will no longer be able to even if the even if the buyers or the builders want to uh, to uh, uh, build homes connected to gas they will no longer be able to yeah and no, so that yeah. pretense of choice has now been has now been revealed uh, for what it really is it's a war against gas that's right there's no choice so every new home in victoria from next year uh, cannot be fitted with gas so they have to be electrified now kevin um in your article you mentioned that the then energy minister lily d'ambrosio uh, tried to make the case for this last year when she told the Herald Sun that um, gas was actually more expensive. Now, that's just a flat out lie, isn't it? I mean, there's so much gas in Victoria, you could give it away uh, for free. Uh, it, it's in such abundance. Well, if the, if the infrastructure is there for gas exploration and gas extraction is there, then, then gas will definitely be uh, a very, very cheap uh, resource in Victoria, especially in Victoria because of the abundance of gas along the Gippsland-Otway-Bass yeah. Basins. Um, 
the the reality is that gas has been artificially made more expensive through this obsession with with a net zero emissions policy by 2050 um net zero emissions policy by 2045 they wanted early in victoria actually but kevin how does that how does that stand up though she said no longer she said that gas was no longer the cheap fuel that it once was what's the basis of that claim uh, the basis of that claim is a mis is, is a misleading study by um, my understanding is by is a misleading study by uh, the CSIRO's Gen Cost report, which looks into the uh, the cost or the wholesale cost of electricity produced by different uh, different. Uh, 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 forms of fuel, and in that in that report, they they uh, uh, they take out the requirement, the the infrastructure requirement for uh, solar and wind to be put into the grid. They made the assumption that oh, the the infrastructure is there, the yep. uh, the sunk cost has already been spent, and for that reason, uh, if we take all these expenditure out, then oh yeah, um, wind and solar will be the cheapest, and gas will be more expensive, or uh, coal will be more expensive. Yep. May under based on the assumption that we take out the the necessary in investment, the necessary expenditure that would make wind and solar possible. Yeah, so it's not comparing apples with apples, and it's it's really, that's quite a dangerous it's thing to do Yeah, when you're talking about something so crucial to the economy. Now, if, um, well, well, it's not an if, uh, Victoria is now mandating that from next year, all new homes have to be electrified, no, no more gas. What's that going to do to the state's ability to supply electricity, um, given that they've already closed down so many coal-fired power stations and the remaining ones at Yalon, Luoyang A and Luoyang B are under pressure. What, what's going to happen to the grid uh, as more electrification comes on board? Well, that will just that will just jeopardise the integrity of the energy grid. Um, the quality of our of our electricity grid, the, uh, the electricity grid is already under severe stress and severe duress from the influx of uh, wind and solar, from from the influx of uh, variable source of renewable energy that then that the grid is not is not uh, equipped to cope with, and that's reflected in the in the in Australia's ranking in terms of energy infrastructure. We were ranked. Um, uh, uh, relatively high uh, compared to the rest of the world uh, as far as our energy infrastructure is concerned. And we are now 52nd out of 64 uh, in the world. And that's reflective of the fact that our, en our electricity grid is increasingly under, under attack by, uh, by uh, fluctuating, uh, fluctuating e uh, energy produced by wind and, uh, and solar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this is uh, very, very concerning, of course, and it seems like the politicians haven't factored that in. Um, yeah, we're seeing also, it's not just Victoria with this pressure, um, the, the uh, senator for the ACT, David Pocock, who's really a radical green uh, disguised as an independent, uh, he, he's got the parliamentary budget office to do some costings and to, and to have a pilot, process, pro, um, a, a pilot project in the ACT in one suburb there uh, where they rip out gas stoves and put in electric ones, um, if, if that's transposed across the nation, what effect will that have and what will that cost? If that's transposed across the nation, the cost implication could be, a, a, could be, be 
as high as $100 billion. And that's just for that's just for the taxpayer subsidies. That's just for the taxpayer subsidies because it would be unconscionable to require to require families to pay for the upfront cost of electrification. And this is the reason why subsidies are needed. We've done an estimate uh, in terms of the cost, the upfront cost implication of um, of uh, transitioning away um, a family home from uh, uh, from multi fuel uh, multi fuel energy supply to full electrification, and it will cost family eighty one thousand dollars. Now I don't know about you, but I certainly don't have eighty one thousand dollars sitting in my bank account waiting for the government to tell me what to do with it. And this is the reason why this is the reason why subsidies are needed. Subsidies are required, despite the fact that proponents of electrification are saying, "Oh, you know, this is uh, this will actually save you money. This is good for you." Um, but then they they require they require um, public funding for it. So this is crazy stuff because uh, as a nation, we're heading towards $1 trillion worth of debt. Uh, governments are toying with the idea of more subsidies to, to get more renewables and get rid of gas, uh, which is cheap and abundant. Um, this is also going to push up not, not just our taxes, but it's going to continue to drive up our electricity bills as well, isn't it? It will increase our electricity bills and it will also increase cost, the cost of producing goods and services in general because electricity feeds into other parts of the economy. You need electricity. You need electricity to produce uh, manufactured goods. You need electricity to provide services, um, to provide uh, connections, for example. Um, and, 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 and the increasing cost of electricity will, will have a broader implication. We're already um, uh, experiencing very, very stubbornly high levels of, of inflation that, that the RBA is struggling with. And this is just going to make it, make it considerably worse. Yeah. Now, in, in your article, um, Kevin, you say that uh, electrification won't reduce emissions. That, of course, is counter to the narrative that uh, our radical politicians are telling us. Well, that's counter to what the politicians and the activists are, are telling us, but it's not it's not really uh, it's it's not really disputed by those uh, by those proponents of renewables who actually know what they're doing. The 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 data and the facts are actually uh, are actually not so much in dispute as far as uh, the emissions implication of electrification is concerned. What they so this this is this is common knowledge that this is acknowledged by um, by renewable advocates who have done the studies who are qualified to to give their opinions on it that emissions will actually increase not decrease as a result of electrification. Um, what proponents of electrification are saying, however, is that oh you know maybe in a couple of years in a couple of years time if our assumptions are correct. If we do certain things, maybe emissions will break even, maybe in a couple of years' time, and then start to decline. When the factor of the when the fact of the matter is, um, in the immediate terms, immediate immediate electrification will actually increase um, emissions in uh, a, a, a houses a houses um, a, a carbon footprint. And is that because um, our electricity grid, is, of course, is so reliant on, on coal because uh, wind and, and solar can't um, produce the, the firm power? So, you know, ripping out all the gas stoves and putting in electric ones is just going to cause us to have to burn more coal to keep up with the demand. Absolutely right. Um, even with the with the record level of uh, of expenditure on wind and solar infrastructure, our electricity system is still heavily, heavily reliant on 
coal and coal and gas. Um, and this this whole idea that um, that it will be uh, that that we can rip out gas, that we can uh, we can take out coal-fired power stations, rely entirely on wind and solar, is just unrealistic. Um, the one jurisdiction where uh, the one major, the one state in Australia uh, where emissions from electricity generation is still is is below emissions uh, from uh, from uh, gas is uh, Tasmania, and that's and the reason for that is because of the hydroelectricity Hydro. yeah. that Tasmania benefits from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I guess that brings us to you know, the Snowy 2.0 hydro scheme that's that's going uh, oh. under construction at the moment. I think it's uh, up to a, uh, well over twenty billion dollars in cost, starting at uh, two billion. Uh, does does that provide oh, an yeah. opportunity to allow this electrification dream to come to fruition? Well, no. Um, Snowy Point, Snowy 2.0 will will only provide will only provide storage facilities for uh, for a relatively small part of the of the uh, East Coast uh, uh, electricity market. Um, you need considerably more. You need several times more Snowy 2.0 uh, to be built in order to firm up renewables uh, sufficiently to replace. Uh, coal and especially to replace coal and gas. And um, what the implication of that is that the uh, uh, the cost blowouts, the delays of Snowy 2.0 will have to be replicated multiple times over. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, this week Chris Bowen is off to COP28, another UN climate talk fest, and uh, all these policies are doing is creating uh, enormous debt and cost and driving up our electricity. Kevin, just finally before I let you go, um, when did... When did it, it uh, become fashionable to start demonising gas? You know, in, in recent years, gas was always seen as the great transition fuel, uh, a cleaner fossil fuel, and, and needed, if, if we are going to transition to a net zero economy, it was absolutely necessary. But uh, I've noticed uh, in the last little while, and of course we're seeing this by what we're talking about with the war on gas cooktops, that uh, gas has suddenly fallen out of flavour. I don't remember us having a debate about that. Just suddenly the Greens just started saying gas was dirty, even though it's been viewed as a clean transition fuel. Yeah, it's a bit of a mystery to me as well because proponents, other proponents of net zero, the ones who actually um, who actually have have done uh, have done important studies on it, uh, net zero Australia, uh, Dr. Alan Finkel, uh, Dr. Kerry Schott, uh, they they're all perplexed at this idea that um, that gas should be demonised, that that we should transition away from gas, understanding the the contribution that gas can make. To uh, to a net to a net zero transition, assuming that a net zero transition is even uh, is even a uh, a desirable outcome, and I suspect that a lot of the a lot of the uh, a lot of the appetite for um, for uh, the move away from gas is 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 fed by the desire not so much to reduce emissions but to remove competition away from wind and solar. And so yeah. a lot of it, I think, uh, is, is to do with lining up pockets of wind and solar billionaires and wind and solar investors.
I think you've just uh, belled the cat, uh, hit the nail on the head there, Kevin. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to go and read Kevin Yu's uh, articles at the Institute for Public Affairs website or at the IPA uh, review publication, first class stuff. Uh, Kevin, thank you for what you're doing to help expose um, the, really what is, uh, you can't call it anything other than a corruption of our electricity system and our power bills. So thanks very much for your time today, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Well, last week, our regular commentator on the battle against girls and women, Kiralee Smith, wasn't with us. That's because she was in court. But I'm pleased to say she joins us today. Kiralee, how did you go last week? Oh, well, it, you know, it was really boring legal argument, basically. Uh, so I was at the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal and uh, I was there because I've been accused of vilifying a transgender identified man, male, uh, by calling him male. And uh, the Attorney General intervened in my case um, and all the argument was around the fact that the uh, NCAT, known for short, is not... Uh, there's not a court that's able to hear this case because it should come under federal jurisdiction because we are raising the constitutional argument of the implied freedom of political speech. Uh, the senior member there has reserved judgment, uh, so I don't know <laughs> what the outcome of that will be, but uh, so far it, it doesn't look like it will be able to proceed in NCAT and if they want to refile, they'll have to do so in another court. Yeah. Now, it's really important for all of our viewers to understand just how crazy this is. You should not have been in court in the first place for telling the truth about gender. Correct. I'm, I'm simply making a statement of fact, and it is in the course. I am the spokeswoman for Binary, a political organisation. We have to register as a third-party political campaigner. Um, we should be able to have political discourse in this country, and we should be able to have freedom of speech to state the facts it's truthful, it's not vilification, it is not hateful, it is not inciting violence, it is simply a matter of fact. That's right. And of course, if they win a case like this against someone like you, who's outspoken in the public square, it means that no one will be able to tell the truth about gender. We will all have to go along with this pantomime of pronouns and, and calling biological men women when they're clearly the not. So um, so there's the stakes are very high here, Kiralee, and um, you know we're all with you in this. Let, let's move on to other craziness. Uh, <laughs> The weeks are never dull in this space. Um, we saw a news report last week that the Albanese government is quietly considering uh, taxpayer funding, putting on the Medicare tab uh, uh, the, the cost of sex change operations. What's going on here? Yeah, the Australian um, uh, Plastic Surgeons Association basically have made the application uh, because, of course, there's a lot of money to be made for them. Um, and the report tells us, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned their sex change operations. No one can change their sex. It's all yeah. an illusion and appropriation. No one can do that. And um, even in the language that they use, it's about, you know, chest reconstruction or, uh, you know, genital reconstruction. It's actual castration and double mastectomies that we're talking about here, Lyle, and they want that on the taxpayer dime uh, because they're going to make a lot of money from doing these irreversible, very harmful surgeries that, one, don't change the person's sex in the first place, two, don't address the underlying issues such as the autism, the trauma, the abuse yep. and whatever else has led to uh, the gender confusion and dysphoria in the first place. So it's a very cruel and greedy act, in my opinion, that uh, these people would even ask uh, that the taxpayer fund these procedures. 
Yeah, and this is why elections really matter, Kiralee, because um, I know you would have been aware, but I looked at the Labor platform before the last election. And in fact, the last few elections, this has been Labor Party policy to, to fund uh, these so-called sex change operations uh, through Medicare. I reckon it's only a matter of time before they start funding them for children as well, because the platform actually says this sort of funding should be available to young people as well, if you read the document. Uh, and like I said, it's cruel. It uh, doesn't achieve the out desired outcomes. Yeah. It actually creates lifelong medical patients. So yeah. this is something that must be opposed at every level. Absolutely. And, and of course, the taxpayer should not be paying for it. Kiralee, um, the, uh, some, some good news this week. The International Cricket Council, uh, sanity sort of has prevailed finally uh, at that level, and they have banned biological males uh, from playing against females. Yeah, that's right. It's so funny. The rest of the media said, you know, they've banned, tra banned transgender players. No, they haven't. They can, Any trans-identified player can play in their biological category, but women's sport is for women, for females, and uh, it's an issue of safety and an issue of fairness, and uh, the science backs it up 100%, and so the ICC have made the right decision in protecting females in cricket. Um, you know, inclusivity is an important value, they said, but not more important than the safety and fairness for women. Unfortunately, Cricket Australia doesn't agree and thinks that males should still continue to play in female competitions. And I need, I, I ask them, why? What's the point of having a male and female competition if males can play in the female competition? It makes no sense and it puts women at risk. And what do they say to you, Kiralee? Oh, they won't answer, of course. <laughs> I get yeah. ignored, but uh, we will ramp up our campaigns in the new year, um, you know, asking all Australian sports why they are putting women in this very uh, precarious position when it comes to fairness, safety and dignity. Well, it's outrageous. I mean, I think Cricket Australia, sadly, is one of the most wokest organisations in the country. I love our cricket. I love uh, Pat Cummins, our male cricket captain, but uh, he certainly has gone for the woke Kool-Aid. Um, Kiralee, um, th this is a very serious issue of course, and I think Cricket Australia will be forced to, to act. Uh, we, we see reports from the UK uh, last week of a male soccer player, again identifying as a female, breaking a woman's knee playing soccer. Oh, look, that is just horrifying. It's what we've been concerned about. Um, you know, I'm being taken to court by soccer players because I have flagged this as an issue. Um, it, it's really outrageous that a girl just turns up to play soccer, have a run around a field for an hour, you know, on the weekend, do some physical exercise, and she gets a knee broken uh, by a male who not only insisted that he has to play in the female team but now wants to sue any woman who opposes his inclusion in the female competition. So, you know, this is this is not about fairness and this is not about safety for him, uh, but it must be for everyone else. Yeah, crazy stuff. Uh, look, it's going to be reports like that and injuries that will force the likes of Cricket Australia and other and and, and the soccer authorities here as well. Um, some further good news, Kiralee. Um, the Sydney Morning Herald, not exactly a bastion of uh, of uh, objective journalism, particularly when it comes to uh, issues like the the transgender and the LGBTI issues. They they have always been one sided. But at the weekend, a, a very big feature article in the Good Weekend magazine. Um, giving both sides of, of the gender debate. What did you make of it? 
Look, you know, it's a massive step forward considering that they sacked Julie Sego uh, earlier this year for trying to do the exact same thing in fair reports on this issue. And uh, thankfully, the Sydney Morning Herald over the weekend gave uh, a lot of column space to both sides of the issue. Um, and, you know, for me, obviously, uh, I don't agree with those advocates who were saying that, uh, you know, people or young people should be allowed to change sex because they simply can't do it. But they did give voice to a lot of uh, parents in this space who uh, feel they can't speak out or that they fear losing not just their jobs but their own children if they go on the record. So they were given voice. Um, Detransition and Mel Jeffries uh, had a large part in that article. And so it was a very um, emotional uh, article to read but at least um, they've taken that step to start the fair reporting on this issue and I look forward to other publications and the Sydney Morning Herald itself continuing uh, these investigations because the fact is other countries that have done these investigations have stopped these sort of treatments on minors in particular. So uh, well done, Sydney Morning Herald, in this case. Yeah, it, it, this is um, an earthquake in terms of the reporting on this issue. Uh, you and I have been following this for many, many years. This is a massive breakthrough. And uh, with the uh, exposure, uh, people will be able to very quickly make up their own minds. Um, Kiralee, uh, some bad news. We're going from good to bad news. Um, but um, the New South Wales Local Government Association uh, has voted to allow drag queen story times or to, to affirm the need for drag queen story times, you know, funded by the ratepayers in local counties. Council libraries. I mean, how irresponsible is this? Oh, it's it's insane. You know it all too well, Lyle. But um, these drag queens belong in adult bars. They are all about sexual characterizations of and mockery of women in particular. And uh, they're not good role models for our children. It's, it's completely unnecessary for the tax, uh, rate payer to fund these sort of events. And I encourage every single rate payer to contact their local council and express why it's completely unacceptable to have anything with the word sexual being um, promoted to our children. And these drag queens are promoting sexual orientations and sexual identities. Kids don't need those sort of sexual um, ideas imposed upon them at such a young age. That's right. Uh, and the gender fluidity. If only our councils would go back to fixing the potholes and taking out the rubbish, that would be a good start. Kiralee, as exactly. always, it's uh, fantastic to have you back again this week. Uh, keep up the fight and we look forward to chatting again next week. Thanks for having me, Lyle. In an era where children are routinely exposed to pornography online, it's heartening to see policymakers taking concrete steps to protect our youngest generation from the potential harms that lurk there. Now, I'm often critical of the Liberal Party, but Peter Dutton's commitment last week to launching a trial for age verification to safeguard children from pornography is a step in the right direction, and I wholeheartedly welcome this initiative. The internet has undoubtedly transformed the lives of all of us in countless positive ways, but it has also opened up new challenges and dangers, especially for children. Dutton's commitment to age verification is a proactive approach to addressing one of the most concerning issues facing parents today. The trial aims to verify the age of individuals accessing pornographic websites, thereby preventing minors from stumbling upon explicit content by accident. 
Now, this measure aligns with uh, Family First's core values of prioritising the safety and well-being of children. It shows the Liberals have, have uh, moved away or moved a long way from when they opposed the Rudd government's communication minister, Stephen Conroy's attempts to protect children online using proven internet service provider filtering. That was over 10 years ago. The trial that's now proposed was a recommendation uh, of the e-safety commissioner. But sadly, the Albanese government, and this just shows how ironic things are and how the tables have turned, Labor once supported protecting children online through ISP filtering. Now the Albanese government has chosen to ignore the e-safety commissioner's recommendations and to leave the pornography industry to regulate um, to, to regulate uh, online pornography. That's like putting Dracula in charge of the blood bank. It's, it's quite crazy. Now, pornography's harms are well documented, including in a recent article written by the left-wing Guardian newspaper, which reveals children as young as six are being exposed to it online. Now, this is not a left versus right issue. The American College of Pediatrics says, and I quote, the ability and use of, sorry, the availability and use of pornography has become almost ubiquitous amongst adults and adolescents. Consumption of pornography is associated with many negative emotional, psychological, and physical health outcomes. These include increased rates of depression, anxiety, acting out, and violent behavior. Younger age of sexual debut, sexual promiscuity, increased risk of teen pregnancy, and distorted view of relationships between men and women. For adults, pornography results in an increased likelihood of divorce, which is also harmful to children. Well done to Peter Dutton and the Liberals for supporting this trial. Let's hope the Parliament has the courage to take it up. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for your company. Please keep up with what's going on during the week. Make ADH TV your go-to for conservative news and analysis. You can also follow me on X, that's at Lyle Shelton, and there's plenty of political commentary on the Family First Party blog, familyfirstparty.org.au. Until next week, keep speaking up.